0: This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke.
0: And I'm Kiara.
1: And Victoria is not here. She currently has a handbag in the seat where she normally sits. Very uh, forlorn,
0: sad looking handbag
1: yeah it's it's kind of fallen over and it's all very (laughs) which is what we're like because victoria's not here but she is called away
0: for important important engagement that she couldn't get out of unfortunately so that's that's she's got a good excuse
1: she does she has a very good excuse so yes it will just be kiara and myself flying well not solo whatever duo duo yes flying duo that will that shall do
0: um, make perfect set That's a new thing. I think that's a new thing. Yeah, we're
1: flying Jew. Yeah. Okay, anyway. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I don't know what Before i Before it gets of that. any weird, I will just yeah. leave
0: it. Um,
1: so, this week we have read uh, The Wife of Bath's Tale, which is one of the tales within Geoffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales, uh, which is one of the oldest pieces of literature in Middle English um, and is quite quite an interesting a rich text it's really really long um, but it's made up of individual tales and yeah it's it's pretty good I think Luke you should just give us a rundown, uh, of, a rundown. Uh, yeah, of
0: how Canterbury tales work so th- this this this, yeah. this 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 is going to be partially Canterbury Tales 101 how to read them and understand exactly what's going on and Then we're going to talk specifically about The Wife of Bath's Tale, I think, is how it's going to roll. Yeah,
1: that sounds about right. Just so people have a bit of context. So, The Canterbury Tales is a story of a group of pilgrims uh, on a pilgrimage uh, from London to Canterbury, uh, to the Canterbury Cathedral, which is where the saint, uh, St Thomas Becket, who was martyred in the the... same cathedral, 11th century yeah 11th century um and so his tomb was a place of pilgrimage uh, presumably because they would have been i'm guessing a lot of miracles attached to the tomb and just because pilgrimage was quite a popular thing in the medieval period mm-hmm. for very long reasons that i won't get into but it's quite interesting the philosophy behind it's it
0: it's pretty much it's pretty like the modern the a medieval equivalent of backpacking these days it is because yes. travel was yes. just as dangerous. It was as dangerous as backpacking, if not more dangerous. I think I back think that's, in that's an interesting
1: analogy because I think both backpacking and the pilgrimage. There's kind of it has this analogy to uh, it's a microcosm of how we view life. So I guess the backpacker these days is you know the the person sort of going not going against but sort of going out to explore the world, whereas the pilgrimage. Um, was you know going as a group from where you are to something quite sacred to something like ho- something quite holy, and so it was the- a much
0: about the interior exploration as it was the exterior.
1: Yeah, and it was as I say a microcosm of our journey through life that we're going from where we are on Earth to the City of God, as Saint Augustine would call it. Uh, now, The Canterbury Tales takes place during one of these pilgrimages, and it's a group of Rather rough characters uh, from a complete cross section of society, from the paupers uh, to the knights to to priests, um, and as I mentioned, they're quite rough characters. It's very satirical uh, about, almost cartoonish, really, um, of the characters that they were representing. So the priests will be quite immoral and corrupt, and the anyway, we'll, we'll go on we'll go on about this. And one of the characters um, is the wife of a fellow named Bath. Now, during the Canterbury Tales, it's about these people telling their stories. So they have uh, a tale that they wish to tell. uh, And it's almost like a competition uh, to pass the time, in a sense, um, to who could tell the best tale. And so each of the tales uh, usually contains a prologue, which is the character introducing the tale, uh, it's not necessarily a short, in this case in The Wife of Bath's no. Tale. It's much longer, to my surprise. It's longer than the actual tale itself, but it usually introduces the character and gives you an idea of what the character's like. The tale itself, and sometimes an epilogue, which is, I guess, the prologue and the epilogue will usually be made up of um, of the character speaking, but also interacting with other characters. And so that's what we're looking at today is we're looking at one of those specific parts of the Canbury Tales, which is the wife of Bath's prologue and tale. She doesn't get an epilogue. She just has the prologue and tale. Yep. Um, she's quite an interesting character, Char- isn't she?
0: Yes. I mean, and the biblical parallels are obviously completely intentional because she's had five husbands before bath her current husband
1: like the woman at the well well,
0: like the woman the samaritan woman at the well who she refers to quite frequently all her previous husbands have died because it's the Middle Ages and lots of people die, but also the first three were the first two or three? I can't remember. First three. First three were kind of old and wealthy and. Uh, but they were good. They were good men. They, you know, they were good men for the most part. The last two beat her and treated her poorly My and now. Yeah, nasty characters. And someone you wouldn't want to be married to, but thankfully they died because it's the Middle Ages and you don't but live. She
1: liked them. That's the thing. But anyway, but anyway we won't go into that, yes.
0: Um, and then she, I I mean, I didn't read the prologue as thoroughly because I'm like, let's get to the story. I want to read the story. Um, yeah, she's quite bitter. Actually, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, the the sense I got from this was a lot of, was a lot of bitterness and anger about her lot in life Mm. and lots of backward and forwarding about whether marriage was actually beneficial or not. For mm, mm. you know, for everybody, and you know, lots of ba- and you know, lots of you know, sort of scripture references to back it up, but you know, to you know, for one way or the other, and so it's almost like she's having a conversation with herself rather than with anyone
1: else. She's attempting, I think, she's she's attempting to explain, I guess, her like you say, bitterness, but she's also like she also has a lot of, uh, I guess, brokenness and this sense of. um mm. The character, I'm just trying to think, I was watching yesterday uh, this presentation from some theatre students at my university about modern adaptations of things, and one of them was there's this BBC adaptation of The Canterbury Tales into kind of like a modern thing. Now, don't worry, it's not like, you know, there have been these kind of post-modern rubbish adaptations, but the BBC one looks fairly decent. It looks like it's attempting to try and capture um, the the sense of it in a modern day context now mind you it it's not this is not prudish this is not like clean this is not oh no
0: she goes into pretty graphic detail with about you know marital life with all her husbands which was like whoa too much information i'm like i'm talking to my mother no i'm kidding. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you probably need to give some context to that, but we won't. We won't go yeah, no, there. Let's just not go yeah, there. Yeah. I'm a little bit
0: scarred for life. My mother is well known for making very, very raunchy jokes just to scar her children for just life.
1: To put it out there. She's a, she's a, an expert in marriage. She's not a person who just likes to go out of her way to. But anyway, anyway, we, we've gone way off topic. Um, so this BBC production uh, kind of presents the wife of Bath as this kind of jaded celebrity socialite woman who's an alcoholic and she's a bit like she's in her 40s and she's a bit rough and she swears and that kind of thing. And I think that is probably a very good analogy Analogy for the medieval wife of Bath that's found in, um, in Chaucer. So she goes to explain about her five husbands, about how she would use her... Um, her woman prowess, Yes, I guess you uh, yes, could say. Her,
0: her, her womanly... not. They're not virtues of anything, but her womanliness, I suppose. Yeah. The fact yeah. that she... Yes. To, try
1: and, to try and win power over men. Um, and in the case of the first three older husbands, she did that rather successfully uh, through lying, through...
0: Manipulation. Yeah, through manipulation. Bribe- sexual bribery,
1: basically. Yeah, and she gained a lot of land and money out of that. Um, and... But I think it's the
0: impression she then kind of lost successively with her abusive, more abusive husbands. Yeah, I guess
1: they were much. They, I get the impression from that that she was. They married not, her for her money. And yeah, well, yes, they were much younger than her. Um, and but nonetheless, she then proceeds to go into her tale, uh, which is very similar to the prologue in that the tale is about, um, is really about that what women really want is power over their husbands in marriage. Um, And so this tale goes into a fellow knight uh, under King Arthur who um, rapes a woman. Seriously, like this is in the Canterbury Tales. I'm not joking. Uh, If Uh, if you'd
0: like to hear what the transliterated terminology was, it was uh, forcibly taking her maidenhead.
1: Yeah. Pretty,
0: yeah, yeah, there it is. Uh, Yeah. And by by very force he took her maidenhead, an act of violence such as to so much petitioning to the king for her, and um, yeah, basically the king, King Arthur came along and said, "You rape someone, I'm going to cut your head off."
1: Yeah, which, which is, is
0: perfectly reasonable.
1: One can understand that.
0: Um, and but then,
1: he pleads for clemency. No, sorry, he doesn't plead for clemency. See, so he, he's, he's the, the queen. queen. Pleads for clemency, and the women of the court plead for clemency for reasons I can't quite figure out, but they do nonetheless. Yes. It's probably a really important point that I'm not picking up on. Um, and so oh, they decide. Me as well. They decide the queen uh, is Sexism successfully quest. granted, yes, but says that you must go out. This is sounding very much like uh, Sir, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah. Uh, yes, I thought that when I'm reading it for like in one year and one day, like Sir Gwen you must come back with the answer to the question, what is it that women most desire? I believe that's the question. And so he goes out. And, and he finds
0: every woman he can possibly... can
1: figure it out. Yes, like, he gets different
0: answers for different things. Some said honour, some said pleasure. Gorgeous clothes, fun in bed. Yes, I'm not kidding. That is quite literally in the same sentence together. To often be widowed and remarried was another one. All these things that apparently women want the most. (laughs) I know. I I don't know who exactly was talking to.
1: We'll we'll get Um, into that.
0: Freedom to do exactly as we please, with no one to reprove our faults and lies. Yeah, basically, this poor guy is like, it's like the last day, and he has to go back to court. He's got no answer, and he's you know going crap. I'm gonna die because the condition was if he couldn't solve the if he couldn't find an answer, he'd have his head cut off. Mm. So he was basically resigning himself to death. And sees this apparition sight like thing of all these beautiful maidens dancing in a forest. I'm pretty sure they had clothes on. And he goes, you know, he says, Oh, they must know the answer, and goes after them, and they disappear. And all there is is this old crone hag woman who's just. who is very graphically and beautifully described, I must say. Uh, She's rather.
1: Being old. Yes.
0: Being very, very old and decrepit and ugly. And he says, uh, you know, and she says, you know, what do you want? And he says, I need to know the answer to what women most desire. And she says, F- I can tell you what women most desire. He's like, really? Will you tell me? She's like, yes, but only on one condition, that if I if I give you the answer and it is the correct one and, you and you know, you, you shall live and you live, you must marry me. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yes, okay, I'll do it. Obviously not thinking that, you know. Well, I mean,
1: <laughs> I think he'd prefer that over death.
0: Yes. Um, although... Later on, you'll see, possibly, I'm not sure. He seemed a widget could play it anyway. And so he says, upon my honour, I agree to your terms. And then she whispers in his ears. uh, She crooned her gospel in his ear, to quote Chaucer. Um, And so he goes back to court and says, oh, Queen, I have the answer. And the answer is that... He said, uh, um, yes, my liege lady in general, he s- said he, a woman wants the same self-sovereignty over her husband as over her lover and master him. He must not be above her. So basically, women want sovereignty over men.
1: Yes, basically. So, indeed, this is the answer. The court agrees. The court of women agree. And so he goes he away. Lives. And he lives, but has to marry the woman.
0: He has to marry the He's old crow. very,
1: very... Very upset about this fact. Um, It gets to their their night. Their nuptials. Their their nuptials. And he's like, nah.
0: I can't do it. I
1: can't do this. And so she gives him this this ultimatum. And it is. Okay. Either I stay old and I will always be faithful to you. Or I can become a young woman. But I may not be faithful. Beautiful woman. But I may not be faithful to you. And he stresses out over this. He's like, well, I don't know what I want. And so he says, okay, fine. I leave it in your hands. And she says, bingo! Uh,
0: Very good! Right answer!
1: Right answer! Now you get both! Now you get both. Because she had sovereignty over him in that decision. Yes. And so it all comes back together.
0: I think this is basically the many they all live happily ever after. And they all live happily ever after. Um, Yes, and there's lots of... uh, I think the end of it was really, really... Full on, you know, he said he grabbed, you know, seized her in a thousand, yeah, seized her and melted in a hundred thousand kisses and all sorts of, you know, lovely romantic stuff. Chaucer's like spent, if anyone has has ever thought that medieval people were prudes and puritanical, read this. this. Like, (laughs) there is like no prudishness or, or, you know, puritanism in this text anywhere there is a very very it's
1: raw like it's straight out
0: and to be honest it's awesome because it's a re it's honest mm. Mm. it's honest like puritanism is ho- is such a terrible thing because it's essentially a lie mm. we are embodied mm. beings and bodies are unfortunately messy and so we shouldn't shy away from it we should embrace it and learn to laugh at it mm. and mm. i mean that's the whole point of- and you gotta and like people will read this tale and some people might get very offended of very offended by it because you know oh it's this is- you know this poor woman. Like you know, she lives in this horrible society and blah blah blah. I'm going like, well, you got to remember, this is Chaucer. This is satire. Mm. This is Chaucer. They're
1: overblown. Yes, a lot they're the they they're,
0: yeah. they're caricatures. I mean, no doubt there were probably women who had a similar story to her, and there are women nowadays who have a similar story to her. Although she probably divorced those husbands rather than they just died of natural mm. causes. Um, you know, like there's, you know, there's. This is this is you know be you know Chaucer is very very human, hmm. and the way he writes is very very human, and he doesn't bother trying to sanitize or romanticize or you know um, you know haloize everything. You know he just tells it like it is, and hmm. that's that's what I love about it. It's just so it's just so love, and this is why it's still around today. I think, to be honest, it's this very, why this why is one of the few texts that have survived
1: cultural, well. It has a lot of reasons why it's around today, but um, our literary person is sadly not here. I know, and I can't really go into it because I but I don't really philosophically, know. yes, philosophically, philosophically. <laughs> uh, yes. So, what, what, what should we look at? We're already like halfway through the episode. Um, what should we look at? How
0: about we just go? Um, how about we just go women? Women, women in medieval women. society. Yes, that
1: sounds good. So, what? Um, just quietly. Yes, we're doing reason- gender. We're doing we're doing gender studies. Yes. Oh,
0: okay. Anyway, ah! anyway, no. Catholics anyway. are doing gender studies. Anyway, let's oh, move on.
1: No. Anyway, so what I get the impression when I'm reading this is that, as we mentioned, it's very satirical. Is the impression that you get a lot of it is tongue in cheek. And so what I believe Chaucer, of course, was very well versed in philosophy. Uh, he he was a
0: very had- edu- well educated. He was a very well educated public servant.
1: And he tra- he translated a lot of works um, into English. Yeah, I'm from guessing. Italian,
0: from French, from Latin. Latin you know, all sorts, You know, very, very. For
1: example, Boethius. Yeah. Um, Ovid, one he's most Seneca,
0: in. all sorts of classic. Te- yeah, he was a very well educated, very well educated, and very clever man. Like, so, probably so re- when you
1: read this thing, when you read these things, this is not just Luke being like, oh yeah, you know, there's philosophy. No, he seriously did put things in there, and he did it very purposefully. That were philosophical points. And one of them, I believe, I get the impression, is concerning uh, the view of women at the time or had just previously within philosophy. Um, so to give you a very quick history of the view of women in Christian philosophy, uh, you have, for a lot of the period, uh, for the first thousand years, it was a bit... Uh, it was a bit like- mixed, yeah, it's, it's, always, it's always kind of a mix. So you have this kind of mix of uh, yeah, Plato very much. Plato was a, um, he was very much about the idea that the difference between the sexes was not a huge deal because it's about the soul. The body isn't really nothing. That's not really real. The soul is what's really real. And there's no male and female soul. So therefore, there's no big difference and no big deal. And so Augustine picked up on this quite a bit because he was a huge fan of Plato. Not necessarily the same thing because we believe in the resurrection. Bodies are important. Um, but nonetheless, that's the way it was. You also had people like uh, St. Hildegard, mm-hmm. who was very much pushing uh, through her her uh, very important role and her mysticism pushing for a kind of more complementary view of man and woman, that men and women are distinct as persons, so not just in their bodies, but as entire persons. Mm. But this does not necessarily entail that one is better than the other. Um,
0: And, you know, this is the age of the rise of monasticism in both men and women. So, quite often, during this time, so quite often you'd have a monastery with, you know, with men, with monks and priests, and you'd have a convert sitting right, you know, nearby or next door in some cases with nuns, and they would work closely together. Mm, mm. They were self sustaining communities, so, you know, villagers grew up around them. They ministered to these people, you know, they. Provided for the people around them, and they worked the land together, and they, you know, did all the, you know, they did they did things together. Like these were, um, you know, medieval people were not afraid of women, like this whole, you know, and were not necessarily, and were certainly not afraid of sex and sexuality, and you know the you know the complementarity thing was slow was you know coming through quite strongly, but then,
1: then. Aristotle made a comeback. He's yeah, thanks back.
0: to the Crusades.
1: Aristotle, Aristotle, you you can never write off Aristotle. He always makes a comeback. Uh-huh. You can't get away from Aristotle. Oh, I know. And so he made a comeback. Now, this meant very good things for philosophy uh, in the Christian world, uh, importing from the Islamic philosophy, um, which had rediscovered, I guess, or had very much adopted Aristotle and provided a lot of commentaries on that. Um, But in the area of sex, or rather like the sexes, it wasn't so good for women because Aristotle was not, he was probably the first of the Greek philosophers to advocate for what Sister Mary Prudence Allen, who's fantastic, we've got an interview with her on Cradio, just plug in that, um, uh, he very much founded the view of what she describes as sex polarity. And that is that men are within their substance, so within their person, superior to women. Um, To put it in the words that are usually translated, I think, uh, women are deformed men. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which I would not be able to say outside uh, without... You are
0: quoting Aristotle, so well. I'm I'm quoting
1: people quoting, like talking about Aristotle. Yes, that yes, that his view was that women are essentially deformed men. That uh, men, basically the the sperm, uh, the the seed, uh, is the strong, and it battles against the mother within the womb, and that if he wins, he becomes male, and if he fails and loses, he becomes a female. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that, but yeah. in essence, the,
0: this is Aristotle on women.
1: For the for the, for the purpose of, of our discussion today, um, the main thing that we need to get it, out of it is that this then flowed through to the idea that women, because they were weaker, I mean, there is a, there is some truth in that in the sense of they are weaker. Well, people
0: in, saw the biological differences between yes. men and women. Women were, you know, and and interpreted Physically women the weak. difference to be to be weak. Weakness, mm. and it's know. very
1: important for Aristotle too because, unlike Plato, he wasn't just about the soul; he was about the body and the soul. Yeah. And so the logic was: okay, well, if men are stronger, then that this must flow through. This must not just be an accidental property of them. It must. I'm probably used that term wrong. Apologies to philosophy philosophers lecturers who are. Out there. He's, he's, he's still a work um, in progress. Other, other <laughs> <laughs> but that it is implies about the whole person, and so men are stronger. Therefore, men are better. Yes. In general. It wouldn't make any sense any other way. Yes. Um, now, that this, of course, logic. then flowed through to St. Albert, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, who very much picked up on Aristotle's works. To defend St. Thomas Aquinas, which I like doing, yeah. uh, he was very much a moderate in the area, such I believe. Just a Thomist. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, just a little bit. He was, he was very much a moderate, I think, in that area because he did not believe that this was... A big deal. Uh, That after the resurrection, it didn't really matter that much because you would be perfect insofar as you achieved virtue in your capacity during your lifetime. And so there would be plenty of women who would be more perfect after the resurrection than men.
0: And, you know, the theological virtues, so faith, hope, and charity were given to everybody. Like, th- exactly. you, if you were human, you had them. Therefore, exactly. women were human. Therefore, women had them too. Yes,
1: they're, 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 <laughs> given, they're given by an infusion of grace. Yes. That has got nothing to do with whether and I'm a man are, or And And if you
0: were baptised, you have them.
1: And this brings us to the other point. And we baptise women. Of course. This brings us to the other point, which is what Chiara pointed out straight away and I think any Catholics that are that are listening to this would probably point out straight away well if women are inferior to men then how does the virgin mary fit into all this because it's catholic teaching pretty much that she is to paraphrase horribly basically the greatest mortal being of all time of, of all time so of course our lord is in jesus christ but of course He's fully human and fully and divine. divine. Our lady is only fully human and only and so therefore, being, you know, of course, the greatest only human in existence, that kind of squares off badly with the idea that women are naturally, by their nature, inferior to men. Yeah. Now
0: big big spanner in the wrench. It works there. Spatter in the right. works there, yeah. Spatter in the
1: works, yeah. <laughs> Now, of course, when we look at the philosophy of particularly St. Albert the Great, not so much St. Thomas Aquinas, I'll put him to the side because we've defended him well enough. Uh, In the case of St. Albert the Great, it's very scandalous to read some of the things that he says about women. Now, mind you, he implies within his works, at least according to some translators, he implies that he gets some of these ideas from the confessional, um, which he doesn't say outright because that's... Bad. You can't talk about. You what's can't the give you
0: specifics about exactly, but you know you can give general comments.
1: But nonetheless, when you look at these philosophers and when you look at some of uh, the court poets as well, such as Andreas Capellanus and Walter Mapp, um who were a bit earlier, they do not hold back on their idea that women are basically like the wife of Bath. They are they are out to get men. They will lie. They will cheat. And really... And they're it's... incapable of doing nothing else. Exactly. They're they can't help it. are just to that. It's just in their nature. They can't help themselves.
0: I mean, you may well keep them around to make babies, but only if they're sons. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much it, though. That's it's... pretty much their only value at this point, yeah, in, it's, so, it's in quite, the mind of some it's... philosophers. And this like gives a very, very false impression of the actual practice of how medieval... The medieval, oh, exactly every it wasn't it, wasn't it wasn't necessarily like
1: that in real life. And in fact, one could argue that not necessarily with Saint uh, St. Albert the Great because his was influenced by Aristotle, but but with earlier thinkers that this was very much influenced by a I guess attack on or a reaction to courtly love, which women being from the higher classes having all the men from the higher classes off in the Middle East through the Crusades, Ah, uh, you had this concept of courtly love in which upper class women were having these not quite adulterous relationships. Well, they weren't sexual. Nec- they weren't. They, sexual. they weren't
0: necessarily sexual. Some of them were, but they weren't necessarily sexual. But they would.
1: What What becomes today this concept of like love? Or you, it's, love?
0: It's like basically emotional. It's emotional infidelity. Yeah. It's it, it, it's emotional yes. infidelity, and you know it's entirely possible. So you know, so you many
1: know. people are probably if they know things about courtly love, probably like. What? No, that's an unfair assessment, but anyway. Anyway, bear with. look, us.
0: there were some good things about courtly love, but there were also some really weird things it's about weird. courtly it's love. So some weird. of it got really weird really quickly, even though the intentions behind it were good, you know, treat women <laughs> with respect then. and honour and blah, blah, <laughs> blah. Fine. I, I'm, don't, don't, don't you mock me. I'm a big fan of courtly love. I think there's some really good things to it. I'm sure I think I'm you should sure bring, it, bring a little bit of it back, not the weird stuff, just a little bit of it.
1: I'm, I'm sure there is. Nonetheless, <laughs> so this is the context that we're working with with Chaucer, is that... This great have, debate. You have this debate, and really this characterization of women as just horribly evil, um, and so I guess he's probably making fun he's, of that. he's making fun of that. Um, that. Yeah, and I guess that's, I don't know, Does I've never seen the film, but Helen Hunt and Mel Gibson in What Women Want, has that got any bearing on this at all? What do women want? What does he find out when he's looking into their heads? I can't remember. I have never seen the film.
0: You should see the film. I've seen... I've seen it, but it was so long ago, I've forgotten it. I, I get the impression
1: also... that it's probably going to be like, ah, oh, in the end, rather than, yeah, on the part of women. Like, it's probably, you know, it's a romantic comedy and that kind of thing. So
0: yeah, but don't you know, diss romantic comedy. Kind of so I'm not some of the,
1: romantic they... comedies. I'm just I, saying that I don't, I I don't can't, think
0: I can't remember The what Wife of Bart's
1: Tale is a romantic comedy. That's just No, it's I'm comedic,
0: saying. but I would not call it romantic. romantic. <laughs> um romantic. Anyway, um, so
1: we're we're very close to being out of time. All it was was just us talking about that, and then yeah, and then the I mean the other there. thing
0: the other thing that I should point out too is is that that was a blip, that wasn't a norm necessarily. That was that was that was a that was not what continued to happen because what you see is towards the end of the High Middle Ages and going into the Renaissance, you see. Women like Saint Clare of Assisi, who wrote her own religious order—the first woman ever to do so—you have um, a woman called Christine de Pizan, who was a philosopher, a French philosopher, and she wrote a lot of things about um, women and virtue. So she took on the challenge of, um, you know, many male philosophers who had Aristotle and virtue and all that sort of things that women couldn't do. And she so she had this. She wrote this dialectic book about lady virtues. And you know, Lady just She had Lady Justice and Lady Truth, and you know, there was a- She had this whole argument, this whole dia- dialectic argument, um, written out. And you can still access the book today if you look at, if you go and if you want to go and read it, because it makes for fascinating reading. She was one of the pioneering, one of the few. You've got to remember, this is surviving literature we have, not the entirety of literature that was ever produced in the Middle yeah. Ages. So we have. Christine de Pizan, we have St. Clair of Assisi, Catherine of Siena, phenomenal woman, she basically made the Pope come back to Rome.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty big effort.
0: Yeah, I think I I have lovely images of Catherine of Siena twisting his ear and saying, come on, we're going
1: back to Rome. This through her words.
0: Um, You know, she did it with words, but, you know, I I think she would have done that. I think she would have done that. Yeah,
1: and even before, like, talking about that blip, that even prior to that, I mean, we spoke about um, St. Augustine and you had this very much rather than a complementary uh, view that that you're speaking of there, a kind of uh, view that it really doesn't matter anyway. That um, So you kind of have that idea, although St Augustine didn't entirely go with that. Like, um, also, but it had, wasn't,
0: wasn't his area of interest anyway, so, you yeah. know. Uh, you
1: have... Saint Hildegard, uh, who has only actually recently been made a saint, interestingly enough. Yeah. Um, she was never a saint, but they wanted to make her a doctor of the church. So, oh, Pope Benedict was like, well, same. we have to make, make her, her a saint then.
0: Then. She's good enough uh, to be a doctor, she's good enough to be a saint. It was one of those
1: situations where she was just never canonised. Like, yeah. it just never happened. Yeah. So
0: Widely revered, from... but never canonised. May as yeah. well do it.
1: Because <laughs> there's no reason not to. Um, who, yeah, very much espoused that view. And you had a n- number of other philosophers at that time because of what Chiara was talking about, these double monastery situations. After that, you have, of course, the revival of women who were getting into philosophy. And then, interestingly... It the kind Renaissance of, happened. The, yes, it happens. And then, for some reason, women get trodden down in society. And Except then,
0: unless you're an upper-class
1: woman. Exactly, unless you're an upper-class woman. And really, I guess that's probably why you have the situation now... Where people think that women's rights or that women were treated like rubbish throughout all of human history up until about the 1950s or the 1890s. Up until
0: the 1960s. Up until 1969, basically, in the 70s. the suffrage
1: movement and that. But um, yeah, up until that point. Up until modern
0: times. But really, that's
1: not necessarily the case. You see, really, it's. Only, I mean, in philosophy, it was about 800 years ago, but but then that changed quite quickly um, in the Catholic circles anyway. Um, and then you have, of course, within society, uh, a change happening around about the Renaissance, um, apparently due to the expansion of the middle class, which brings us all the way back to the Communist Manifesto. But let's not go, go there. No, let's no, finish this up. We've already done
0: that. Let's do <laughs> uh, So
1: let's wrap this up. Um it's pretty interesting. We haven't had any Victoria. We've still know, got the handbag. The handbag like hasn't I talked.
0: keep wanting to. No, oh, she's not there. You know. Yeah, it's it's just... like Victoria. What do you think? Oh, actually, no.
1: You're normally there. Yeah, I'm normally there. You're normally there. there.
0: Yeah, Victoria's normally there. Normally yeah, yeah. there. Anyway, yeah, anyway, yeah. you
1: can't see this, so yeah. this means nothing to you. But what are we going to? What are we going to look at, Kiara, next time? Um. You got to run. So we got to think about this really quickly.
0: Um, what are we going to look at next time?
1: Ah, oh, the pressure's on. I can't think of anything. Let us just let's just do a bit of live internet. While, while we're doing some live internet things, if you have any suggestions for us, please uh, email them in to cradiolimited at gmail.com.
0: Yes, please. We are more than happy to take suggestions from our vast and so, so devoted audience.
1: I bet we do. We're discovering more fans. Just a shout out to Jordan, by the way. Yeah, yeah,
0: yes, yes, yes. We, we, we very much appreciated your suggestion of George McDonald, actually. He's on the list. Should we do him? Maybe we should do George McDonald. How easy is he to get, though? What, what do we do?
1: Is it long? Let's, I, let's find out. Yeah, let's I mean, look, we're,
0: we're, we're university students here, so we're under time pressure. We have to read a I can't a lot. even
1: read my readings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're doing okay. a Master's um, of Philosophy, so. so... So what do we want to do? Let's do... Let's do... You know what sounds good? The Princess and the and the other thing. Uh, um,
0: can you get a text? Easily.
1: The Princess... Well, they're all out of copyright, surely. Of, um, yes. The Princess and the Goblin. It is. Let's have a look. There's an audiobook version. That's good. Um... Um, yeah, let's do it. All right, The Princess and the
0: Goblin the by Princess George MacDonald. Shout out to Jordan for the Yay, suggestion. Jordan, Thank you yes. very much.
1: That that sounds fantastic. And if you have any suggestions, if you want to, like, harass us for, for spending too much time talking about philosophy all the time, or if you... I don't know, or Luke if you think, or if you, less.
0: Yeah, or if you know, you think that Kiara needs to stop talking about politics. I don't know. My family. Seems you didn't to,
1: talk about politics at all this time, though.
0: I'm no, I didn't. Although gender didn't. relations is political.
1: No, it's okay. It's, it's okay. okay. You didn't talk about politics. We're all good. Go me. Yeah, uh-huh. go my Kiara. family will be
0: so proud.
1: There you go. All right. Well, next time we will be reading "The Princess and the Goblin" by a very interesting man. Uh, it seems George MacDonald. And yeah, hopefully you can join us next time. Oh, by the way, the, the, the number, the phone number, I gotta add the phone number. The I'm doing phone this number. my boss told me to. CRADOLimited at gmail.com or you can phone us on zero two eight zero zero five one five three zero. That's cool. It's like a Skype number, so you'll get our computers. Alright, Princess and the Frog. No, no, Princess and the Frog. That's a Disney film. Princess, princess and, the and the Goblin. The I wonder how goblin. many times I said that. If I ever said Princess. Anyway, Princess and you're, the Goblin. You're, next you're time. Fa- cool. Thanks, yeah. Kiara.
0: Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Right. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.